flow and speaking to an unknown number of people in unknown places around the world. <clears throat> and I have no idea if you can hear me or see me, but I can see a number of you. So you should be aware that if you're uh, drinking water from your mage mug, that everybody can see you. While we are getting our, our coordinates set, does anybody have any logistical or otherwise things that they would like to say? Clinton, yes, but I will say it in a little while. Um, don't let me forget. Anybody else? Don't all speak at once. It does not have to be logical, just, just so you know. This is not a space where logic is the dominant factor. It doesn't even have to be very relevant. Florian, dude, you are there. I, I think you've had a breakthrough. Florian Beckerow from, from somewhere in the Northwest of the United States of America. Could you speak to the crowd for a minute, please? This is not an it's not yes, an anonymous I, platform, just to be clear. It's not what? Anonymous. Yes, I'm not anonymous. Um, I don't know if I've had a breakthrough. I, I don't feel like I have. I had a break, though. <laughs> I'm not sure about the through yet. Can you say more about that without, um, without, without covering up your mouth? Yes. This is the technology <clears throat> that requires your voice. Um, Without, I, I'm sorry, Florian, I'm sorry. You know, this is probably, you haven't been on here so often, but we've made a group agreement not to use the American mantra. Um, the problem okay. being that um turns you into a zombie in your mind and that's uh, just retributional. It doesn't actually function. So in this space, we're asking people to not use um. I sorry. like that and I notice it when people do it. Um, I, oh, I just did it again. <laughs> I think my, my thought was that we do it because we want to make sure we have the space. So we put ourselves in, in the space with an arm. But yeah, uh, you're waking up. Yeah, I wasn't saying anything. I was just asking you to not give us a commentary about the um thing. We've discussed it for hours here before. And what if you could just share a little bit about your breakthrough that uh, didn't happen yet? Right, it did not happen. I had a break. I forgot exactly when it started. And like I just did a course for four weeks that was on at the same time. So that was my most recent, um, what do you call it? Affair. Affair, yes. Because we all know that these cruises are like these medical centers in Germany where you go and you have an affair on the cruise and what happens on the cruise stays on the cruise. So could you, since this is radiant joy, brilliant love, building love that lasts, building love that lasts as long as it lasts, then you can tell us about your affair and how, what experiments you were trying. Yeah, it was an affair with Aida from Shibli, from uh, Tamera. 
it was a course called Future Possibilities. And it was about, she shared some of her experience as a Bedouin and coming from uh, Palestine and eventually tied it into the vision of Tamera. Mm -hmm. What else to say? I'm not sure what else to say about it. I'm a little behind. I've also, I just moved uh, from North Seattle to South Seattle. Um, so it's been a busy, busy last couple of weeks. Thank you for showing up here. It's great to see you. Thank you. Somebody else, anything else? I, I will share, I wanna share something. What I discovered, I mean, I made that, that discovery a while ago, but I, I didn't, I discovered today mostly that I went through this liquid state and I changed, part of me changed that I am not taking on people's problem anymore. And I used to, when people had kind of emotional reactivity or kind of some like this rescue question that seems so obvious in like modern culture would be like, can you do that? Like, it's sort of the, the, the behind the question is do this for me, but they don't really say it like that. It's say it with a question. And, and I would kind of get hooked every time and, and I would try to find solution for people. And I was a solution creator for people. And then it was exhausting. And, and then now I see, I, see, I see the hook and I see people's problem and I'm like, that's fascinating. What are, what are, are you gonna do anything about it? I don't even ask if they're gonna do anything about it. And, but, and, and if they really wanna ask me something then they, they have to change their request. And that's been like, I just like feel this whole Ah, more space to breathe in me. Yay. So if you didn't have an answer to your request, <laughs> guess what? Oh, that's why you're not talking to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, are you willing to say what's what's on your mind over there? Uh, I am in preliminary negotiations with a small hotel in Palm in uh, Desert Hot Springs to gather women and men. Uh, with the intent of women I know that what she was going to say next was going to be amazing but my internet shut up would you say the last thing again Kay? it says with your intent that you're gathering women and men at Hot Springs which is an amazing little town I've been there, it's wonderful. And with the intent that what? The intent for like an open space and women, the divergent uh, gathering um, ideas and collaborations and whatever wild ideas. And then the last um, convergent bringing it into action and bringing, having men witness this and at the end, bringing the men in to um, 
see what we can all do together. When is that starting? When would do you have a date set? I do. Uh, November. I think it's the first full weekend in November. An 18 room hotel. I mean, not, not 18, six room hotel. Hi. With 18 beds. I mean, not beds, but places. And uh, lots of hotels nearby. But I want to buy out the hotel and just have it be us. I wrote down in my little paper the other day, it says you get more immediate feedback when you are bold. And this sounds right. like a bold move. It's sounds bold. Like... Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Way, way cool. Thank you. Yeah, so I think the people on here who know you a little bit kind of are, would be really tempted to get involved with your offer. So pass it around folks that people know what's happening. Yeah. Come on down. <laughs> That's what they say in desert hot springs. You have to learn Malingo. Really good Mexican food though. Okay, thank you. Somebody else. Yesterday, me and Brianne went to a, a park near here with some, with some signs and some stuff and we realized that we were having the first, like the seed event of an international evolutionary activism festival that anyone can be part of by deciding. And we, we gave laughing lessons and showed people and taught people how to use their voice blaster. And we had all kinds of people come by and we got to practice scanning for matrix and asking dangerous questions. And we're gonna do it, we're gonna keep doing it. And you're invited to do it wherever you are, however you want. It's just this international evolutionary activism festival. And, and just take that, take that if you want to and run with it. Way cool, thank you. <laughs> Hello, Phyllis, how are things cooking over there? Well, I'm preparing to take a trip and part of that trip will be uh, going on the Colorado River for 23 days through the Grand Whoa. Canyon. And when I said yes, I was given 24 hours to say yes. And I'm just in a phase where I'm saying yes. And it was kind of a hard yes. I mean, it was a difficult yes, because I'm quite aware that when you fill up space, then towards one towards something, then you're leaving out other things that could possibly pop up. And so I was a little worried about that. And I only know three people on the trip. It's a private trip. And um, 
And what's happened is it's turning into this extraordinary trip that I'm very excited about. And the guy who's organizing it is um, the son of a friend of mine, he's 38. And he's inviting people to bring something to the table every evening, something, ex something wild and crazy and extraordinary that describes who we are. And, and I'm just getting really excited about this trip because it sounds like a really transformational trip. And so I'm, I'm starting to come up with some ideas of what I can bring to the trip. Yeah, it's fantastic. When does that start? Well, I don't, we go on the river on the 29th of April, but I'm okay. leaving home, I'm leaving home on the 14th of April and gonna travel and, and visit some people and I'll probably see Roger, but I'll also visit some PM people. Mm -hmm. Are you starting at Hoover Dam or where are you starting? Lee's Ferry. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm still surprised that there's enough water in the Colorado to do 23 days. I, I don't know if you're, you guys are circling back or something like that. Well, we'll be spending a couple, uh, two nights at two different places. So, mm -hmm. and doing lots of hiking and slot canyons and stuff. Oh, great, great, cool, thank you. Wow, that's an adventure, cool. Yeah. All right, anybody have a burning thing or I'll jump into the next thing. Right. So all the people who have the channel open but do not have your screen on, we're going into a practice exercise right now. And it's just a little messy if we divide into groups of three and somebody's uh, not to have their camera on and not really participating. So this is a chance to turn your camera on, please. And we'll be throwing people out into groups of three the reason we're doing that is because we're at this part of the book. We've been we've been diving into how to stay unhookable, and to discuss it is one thing, and to practice it is another. And so the book itself has this long list of 25 uh, specific ways to stay unhookable. There's a website called becomeunhookable.mystrikingly.com that has, we're in the, in the process of posting 99 ways to stay unhookable. And some of them are not written up yet, but they're in the process of being written up. But still you get the idea from this list in the book and also the website. But, you know, you can think about memorizing things or something like that, but, but, you know, being hooked is like this, it's a button hook, trigger trauma, a, a, an imbalance and a voice in your head that throws you into emotional reactivity, <clears throat> takes you out of the present time and makes it impossible for you to actually relate as you with someone else or someone else to relate with you. And so the skill of staying unhookable is turns out to not be a skill. It turns out to be an identity shift. So it isn't just a thing that you can, you know, it's not like doing completion loops with somebody where you can just repeat back what you thought you heard them say, and that's a completion loop and it's a, it's like a tool. Staying unhookable it is, a, a, is a, a change of identity to a person who's 
who's skilled up, who has, who has a, a different purpose. You have a different purpose in relationship to than, than feeding your child ego state or feeding your gremlin ego state or feeding your parent ego state. You have a different purpose. So it's a shift of identity into a relational adult, essentially. It's an, a relational wizard, if you want. And, and so the, the only way to kind of recognize where you are or discover and practice is just practicing. It's how do you discover where you are? You practice. And so in a few minutes, and Chloe's gonna throw us out into groups of three. And in the group of three, you have about three seconds to figure out one person is the coach. And you'll be coaching the, the what do we call ourselves? The relator. You're the one who's, who's relating. And the third person is the one who is uh, throwing hooks at you. And so the, tr the one who's throwing hooks, try not to make them so outrageous that there's no chance to have any conversation at all. So, you know, so don't overdo it, but do it enough that this person, we know each other well enough in this team here you can pretty much deliver a hook that will land somewhere in their box, somewhere in their gremlin, somewhere in their structure that would trigger some kind of an automatic response. So, and stay with the same hook for a while. Don't just shotgun them with a thousand different kind of hooks. Sort of stay with a hook. And you're, the related person, your job is to stay in relationship, keep looking in their eyes, and the coach. Your job, remember last time we listed all these different ways to notice when you're hooked, your job is to, is to indicate, well, you're hooked now. You know, you can say beep, you're hooked. And, and the invitation is for the relator person to trust your coach. And if you can't sense your own being hooked, if you don't sense it, trust them and say, okay, what's, what's the indicator? What, how am I, how does it, how do you, how can you see that I'm hooked? And what they say, you know, they say, well, your jaw muscles are going crazy. Or they, they say you're picking your fingernails like this, or you're stuttering, or you're speaking too loud or too soft, or you're confused their question. And these are subtle things that we might not have noticed about ourselves, but definitely indicate being hooked. And so, and at any level of being hooked, basically we're out of the game. So then you shift, go, start over again, and the client person gives you another hook or the same hook. And, and we, we have a short time each person. How long, Chloe, each person? I would do six, like five, six minutes. Five, six minutes. And, and Chloe will send out a signal that for us to shift to the next person or, and then you'll have a one minute warning to come back. Any questions about this? I do. Is it, so are we practicing as the relator? Are we practicing a particular way of not being hooked or we get to choose basically? We get to just do whatever it takes to not be hooked. Exactly. So uh, you have your own repertoire now. You know, if you're smart, you're memorizing number seven or number eight, be in complete acceptance or number nine, be the most radiant being in the space or number 10, be yes to the hook be touched by everything and give it no meaning. Or number 11, 
make a decision to get off the fence, stand in your own simple clarity and refuse to buy the confusion, etc. So there's there's all these ways that we can use. So, you know, I can list them, you can memorize them. It doesn't matter until you can do it in action. So we're going to throw ourselves into this experimental chamber relatively unprepared. Any other questions? All right, here we go. May the best unhooker win. It's a winning happening game, but here we go. What happened, Christine? You just came in and then you saw us talk and you thought. I, I was like, oh my gosh, they looked that they had just a, a session, just a process finish. And I, I came in the wrong room. This was my story. <laughs> like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> and then I checked the numbers again and like, okay, it you was were, the right number. <laughs> you were hooked by your own story. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. It was a nice setting. Like, okay, Janet was just finished processing. This is how it looked like for me. Nice, great. Mm -hmm. You're muted, Clinton. Excuse me. Welcome back. Any? Uh, I'd like to hear some. Any observations? What you saw, learned, noticed, things like that. I just wished my last, so uh, Irene was coaching me and Vera was trying to hook me. It was only a few minutes. I could have used two hours uh, because there's a lot for me there. Thank you. I noticed that I'm very good at hooking. Okay then, I'll keep that in mind. Thank you. And I noticed that Shannon is a fucking good hooker. I mean, she's just brilliant. I mean, this nice Shannon can be such a bitch. <laughs> uh, by now, it seems like probably you noticed this is conscious use of gremlin. Trying to hook somebody is conscious use of gremlin. So 
we're not changing this into a gremlin space, but it's it's great to know that it's consciously using gremlin. It has its use. Thank you. And pulling on that, what I what I've noticed when I was trying to hook Florian is that it it was just kind of a way of giving feedback of saying, hey, I'm spotting this about you. And it is something that you can look at. And so this this exercise, it can be really, really just helpful to to see oh, what are the assumptions that I'm making or how am I not, um, how am I receiving communication? How am I receiving information? How am I using my presence here? And just simply that feedback. Yeah, thank you. I'd like to emphasize how valuable this COVID hibernation time is, this lockdown uh, sequester time. It's, it's such a great time to arrange practice spaces. And so if you don't have a possibility team, be in one. If you're in, if you're not in, you know, be in two possibility teams, hold space for one and be in another one. And just really use these spaces for practicing because it's really like Florian said, you could use an hour. Well, in the, in the possibility team, you have the hour. And so it, I'm, I wanted to bring us into a practice space here in the study group so that it, it touches the realization, hey, this is worth practicing. There's a lot to practice here. Yeah. Ingrid, go ahead. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, uh, I noticed for my, uh, that when I try to be unhookable that I'm building something like a... a a space or a fog or something like that so that I'm at the same time not really touchable. It's so, important to learn exactly what you're building. Is it a fog? Is it a shield? Is it a, a liquid something? It's to learn exactly what it is and how you make it and where how you start it so that you get you know where the switch is so you can turn it off or turn it on. Yeah, thank you. You know, each of us develop these survival strategies and they work. They are excellent. They work. We have survived. And if we don't have, if we don't take back the controls on them, they, they function automatically, just like you said, Ingrid, they function automatically and block us from those precious opportunities that we're really hungry for, that really can feed us, the intimacies and vulnerabilities. You need to find out how that fog comes up, how, you know, what's the trigger? Where's the switch? What's the material? What is it made out of? When did you first start doing it? <clears throat> Who did you use it on back then? And, and then you get that, you, then it turns into a tool that you can use for other things and you get access to vulnerability and connection that you don't have right now. Thank you for sharing that. Shannon. Yeah, and, and, and so that's what worked the vulnerability and the connection. It was, it was the receiving of the feedback. And then it was, it was almost like a warmth coming in, reconnect to center and then, and then respond. And it, and, and so I noticed that, that I was able to own the feedback. So I was able to own, oh, you're being an actor. Yes, I am. I've received that feedback before. And then it wasn't until she said, oh, what a bitch. And then I, I, the warmth was there, but then there was the sting. There was a sting. I was like, yeah, I'm hooked. 
And, and, and so it was, it was the name calling. It wasn't the, the feedback. It was the, like the attack, I guess. But it, but it was, it, it was interesting to observe the feedback, the energy coming in and then allowing for the processing of it from a centered place. Oh yeah, and then receiving, being with it, allowing it to touch me. And, and then responding from, wait, where did Clinton go? Oh, and then responding from, from my feelings. You know, just really saying, oh, that, that, yeah, I feel, I feel sad to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, so I'm feeling kind of scared because um, the the offer from there's, there was a relator and the coach, and then there was this offer, which was coming from this conscious use of gremlin to throw a hook. And I I, I want to say that giving feedback is not a hook from a gremlin, and those are very two different things. And so, if you want to give feedback from and throw a hook from your gremlin then you have a completely different purpose than empowering the other person. So I just wanna make that clear that this was not a feedback space. This was a gremlin hooking space. Okay, yes, and it, and it was. And so, and, and so what I did is I received it and then, and then responded as opposed, yes, yes, it was, okay. it was in our space. Okay, okay, thank you. And I. I want to share from my experience of being the relator and what helps me being unhookable also is to be very clear about my purpose in the conversation and to be very clear about what I want and what I don't want and how I'm going to create that, how, am, how I am the source for that and not expecting somebody to source what I want. And from that, there's a lot of tools such as having met a conversation or asking questions, but also making offers. Hey, actually I hear your offer and I, I have a better one or I have a counter offer or, and, and holding the, whatever the cloth on the side, there's all these hundred ways in the become unhookable. But I realized that it kind of all starts with this, uh, what's my purpose? What do I want to create? What do I want to source? And how, how, what are the, what are the tools that I have to do that on my side that sort of whatever is happening across? We had a situation in our team where one, the, the, the hooker threw a hook and it was a, <clears throat> and the person, the relator started to be vulnerable about what was really going on. And then the hooker threw another hook. And at that point, the relator person used a, uh, a flippant, go into the mind, make fun of the story and, and a, a typical defense strategy. And so what became obvious as we stopped there is that if the related person had stayed authentically vulnerable and, and actually entered a liquid state with sadness or sharing this stuff, that the hook would have actually nothing to hook into because they are liquid. And so you might want to try that instead of trying to go solid again and defend yourself, get it that when you are authentically liquid, there's no, there's no feedback, there's no nothing for the gremlin to get fed on from the other side. 
There's no, there's nothing to hook onto. And that's a really powerful thing to have this authentic vulnerability and be stable in it, be okay with your own liquid state. And I, it's one of the things we're practicing here. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm very glad that you say that, Clinton, because I, I, I was, I got hooked by everything, even if I wasn't the one who was addressed. And oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, and then yeah, and then yeah, I think I was liquid. But what I realize is what I'm creating is um, laughing. Like I'm, I'm laughing instead of crying. But they come, there are tears. I think there's a sadness behind that of not being able to express this liquid state. And now that you say that, that about the liquid state, um, yeah, that, that it's more about being okay with, with being liquid and being in the nothingness, let's say, and yeah. creating from there instead of thinking that I should or I have to or whatever. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Hmm. Go ahead, Ingrid. Yep. When I hear that about this liquid, for me, it's important too. I, I feel. And then I have the feeling that I will always be liquid within any conversation. And what's the problem with that? Nothing. It's just uninhabitual. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I would offer you is to shift your identity from a landlubber, which is a, a person, the, the, the name for somebody who's, who lives on the land. They love the land. It's solid. To being a, a sailor. And you're, and you're a sailor in the liquid states. And so then you have, you don't have a solid position. You don't have a home with a foundation and a roof. What you have is a you're on a journey and there's these huge forces of nature at work with the tides and the winds and the, the all this gravity and all these waves and and you're sailing and so and to to share your sailing along the way you just take a new identity that you're a sailor and and share the journey you know say share what your journey was like yeah Thank you. Thank you. Ingrid, what are you what are you liquid about right now? I'm sad because I ha I hide my sadness because I hide I hide my sadness. And you're sad because you hide your sadness till yeah. now. Thank you for showing it here.
you know what the sadness is about? Can you just say what, what the sadness, you know, it changes all the time, but what is it right now? Is the sadness about hiding your sadness or is it something else? I mean, it has dimensions. So I'm sure. I'm sure there's another thing. Can you just add one more dimension? I'm sad about the time. So about the time I hide my sadness. That is. I'm sad that I'm 61 to be, now, where I am. You've been hiding it for so long. I just, I just had this picture of this experiment you could try. And it is to, you start today and you keep going. And once a day or once every other day, you contact somebody that you've known in your life and you tell them, all this time that I knew you, I've been hiding my sadness about. And yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know sometimes that my chin, how is this spot called? In the English? dimple. The dimple. Yeah. It, it's sometimes like in rings. And I know this is sadness. This is sadness. Yeah. Yeah, but what would happen if you, you know, it would probably be different sadnesses for each person. And you could go tell them because you, you have the strength now, you have the clarity now. You could go on a sadness voyage in your sailboat and tell people the things that you never told them that you were sad about. Yeah. I imagine if you did that for a while, a few weeks, you, you may notice some bigger patterns in the sadness and those would be worth checking out. Those would be worth, uh, you know, we often say that what you're angry about is what you care about, but it can also be what you're sad about is what you care about. And yeah, and so you start to notice a common thread of something that you've been caring about, but not willing to share. Oh. Yes. Yeah. And that would get you back on track with yourself in terms of, in terms of using your, the wisdom of your sadness to find out what you really care about through, through telling people. And you see the pattern. And then something could happen. You, know, you might clean up some old things or make some new decisions or something. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. How many other people could do that this, this next week? You just start connecting with people and you tell them, you just tell them, look, I want to tell you the things that I have, I've been sad about, but I didn't tell you that I was sad about those things. You could tell those people. How many people could do that? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. On this kind of an experiment, we don't know, Kian, just a second. In this kind of experiment, we do not know where it would lead to, really. But 
I've been working on this website, this process called Eye of the Camel. And it's about what it takes for us to escape from the patriarchy. It's the idea being that at the moment when we were babies or really young and we had, we were forced, we were confronted with making this decision to join the patriarchy or die in order to go through this tiny little crack, this tiny little thing, this eye of the needle, we had to let go of our vision, our, our, our mission, our, 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 our connection to the whole. We had to actually abandon all these things that we came to, we were born with. We had to let those things go about that and, and shift into the slip through this eye of the needle and then enter the patriarchy and start to learn how to survive in the patriarchy. And so we all did that. And then after 10, 20, 30, 40 years in the patriarchy, we decide, hey, I'm, I'm not interested in being in the patriarchy anymore. I'm going, to, I'm going to exit the patriarchy. It doesn't serve me anymore. Then what that means is basically turning around and going back to this point where we entered the patriarchy. And, and when we do that, we will discover that that the needle is still there and to get back to the to exit the patriarchy we're too big because we have all these things that the patriarchy gave us and so the patriarchy gave us possessions and it gave us money and it gave us a title and it gave us a car and it gave us you know cool media and it gave us uh, certificates on our wall and trophies from sports and it gave us all these things that we're hanging on to as part of our identity in the patriarchy to make us something in the patriarchy. So to go back through this eye of the needle to get back to ourselves to exit the patriarchy it means letting go of all this stuff the patriarchy gave us. As, as a reward for sacrificing ourselves to be in the patriarchy. And so I think a lot of us are in that process. And so Ingrid, what you're talking about, this sadness, and if we let go of something, sadness comes up. Um, and, and so what I'm saying is that if, you, if we go on this journey of connecting with people and saying the things that we're sad about that we didn't say that we were sad about before, it's lubricating the letting go process of the things that we were given in patriarchy so we can let go of them, go back to be small enough to go through the eye of the needle, back into our original expansive learning form, the original, you know, what we were born into the world with and start over again outside of the patriarchy. So what I was saying that this going around to, to share the sadness that we didn't share before is easily uh, a, a part of that going through the eye of the needle process. So thank you for saying that. Kian. Yes, thank you. So I just wanna acknowledge one more time how great Leslie's hooks were. And I, yeah, she, I was so hooked like all the time, it was incredible. Um, she hooked my self-image of wanting to look good. She hooked my small child of wanting to be loved. She hooked uh, my good boy box that 
wants to be nice and listen and not say what I want. And it was incredible how, how she found that in such a short time. And um, I want to thank you, Leslie, for that. And I want to ask if we can do that exercise again, because it was so enriching. I found at least three emotional healing processes in that. And also I want to share uh, the part of big, um, hooking was very, it wasn't easy for me because there is so much violence in my, in my gremlin that I'm scared of actually going into that. And I also want to practice that and I'm happy if I find a team. So I want to ask if, if Leslie and maybe someone else, maybe Kalista again, wants to meet again for this exercise. Cool, thank you. Yeah, and thanks for your clarity and being able to speak about those things. Appreciate that. And you, you remind me how, we don't often say it, but it's, it needs to be said sometimes that the gremlin will do whatever it takes to keep things the same, to defend our survival strategy. So whatever it takes includes that, it, that the gremlin is a killer. And so, and it's so visible in the world. It's so visible in the world in terms of military, mafia, drug gangs, uh, et cetera, et cetera, um, where, where actual unconscious gremlins are, are at work, really are in the world unconsciously doing gremlin things. And, and so it's naive to think that each of us in past lives or whatever has not been a killer in some way. And I remember one of the first trainings I was in, in back in 1989 was with a man named Ken Wines who invented a training called The Game. And that, that, that process, it was a three-day process, was invented in a, in a prison complex, a, a serious, it was Marion, Illinois, maximum security prison. It was invented there by Ken Wines and Dr. Martin Groder. And, and what Ken shared was uh, a moment where the trainer had, was working with him and, and, and would walk, like Dr. Groder was walking behind his chair and he says, he would whisper in his ear, he says, you're a killer. And, and it, he had to do it 10 times. Dr. Groder did it 10 times before Ken Wines exploded. You know, it says, I am not a killer. And, and in the way he said it, his behavior was as a killer. Actual explosion was killer explosion. And, and it was such a, a wake up call for Ken Wines to realize that that much energy and that much, like you said, aggression or was, was, was in his nature as, as that unconscious gremlin part. He did not have the distinction gremlin, but that part of himself that, each of us has that. And to pretend otherwise 
it just comes out sideways and hurts people close to us sideways. And the whole point of this kind of work is to make it conscious. So you get a choice about it. So, and so that's why if you, if you build up some kind of internal fear about the killer part of your gremlin, then it doesn't change the killer part of your gremlin. It just forces it to be unconscious again and do its work outside of your control, outside of your awareness. And so what we build is safe places for you to experience the fact and notice that your gremlin is a killer. It will undermine sanctuary. It will sabotage uh, places of innocence. It will, it will betray. So it, it, it has these capacities. And when you own those capacities and make them yours, then you have choice about it. But when you separate it off, call that bad or press it into unconsciousness, it doesn't go away. I mean, look at the church. Look at police killing people. I mean, look at the government. Look at on and on and on. Uh, you've got, you know, this delusion of thinking that you can suppress uh, your gremlin and that it will that it will behave properly. I mean, give me a break. I mean, the world is completely mismanaged by hierarchical structures taken over by gremlins because they can climb the hierarchy. So they're the best at climbing the hierarchy. So so, so do you get what I'm saying, Kian? It's like this thing that you just said, do you, would you like to say it a different way? Is there a way you can, can, in a way, start changing your relationship to that instead of just being afraid of it? You know, this is, this is the time in our lives to take responsibility for things we did not know we could take responsibility for. And so you can take responsibility for this killer part of your gremlin and have it sit at your side. And then that's the, that's the part that will have the energy to raise your hand and ask dangerous questions that would destroy an unconscious space and make it more aware of itself. For example, you kill the space of using that killer part of your gremlin, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It has incredible uses in transformational spaces and also in building up uh, archaearchy and next culture. And so it's, it's necessary to have that part available to you as a tool and an agency rather than just some suppressed bad part that you're afraid of like that. So do you want to try again? Can you say it again? Yes. So I notice my old pattern of suppressing and fearing my gremlin and I notice how, how by this pattern I suppressed him all my life. And that didn't mean that he wasn't there anymore. So, and I felt that in that moment, oh shit, he's there in that greatness all the time. And so what I want to do is to become conscious of that. And this is also why I ask for, for the experiment group. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to add something that, I mean, even in, in my gremlin, 
maybe it's this part of like channel one and channel two gremlin but the way that gremlin hook also is by playing victim and it's not only this killer part or this wanting to destroy so clearly but there's this can i hook you into my victim story or can i hook you with my charm and my sexual energy and um and my pre pretended weakness and and i think this is maybe a like for me what i've experienced is that the some of us who would try to avoid this patriarchal dominant killer thing then we choose kind of channel two of the gremlin which is like the weakness and the victim and the, i'm not good enough and including the charming and and sexual energy and and those are just hook as much as the the other things and um to to also learn how to work with that or to be unhookable and still relating relating to that person so yeah thank you thank you i guess also there's the rescuing aspect of the gremlin let me take care of that for you little lady yeah I'd like to add in that we're finding it useful in other spaces to open the door for us to work together in little groups of three. We call these little groups three cells. And so there's a website called threecells.org and has a bunch of explanation about what a three cell is. And it turns out that they can be a lot more flexible than we, we at first thought. We thought that a three cell would go on for a long time or something, but it turns out that they, they work for certain issues or some like the key on what you're talking about is it's this practice space with you three for a few weeks and you have this three cell going and you can call each other and talk and work stuff out and have 10 practice sessions. And then it's like the energy goes out of it you dissolve your three cell and you can join up again with another three cell. But this, it turns out that we have, uh, it's, a, it's like a figure eight with the dot in the middle, the intersection of these two things right here in the middle, that's you. And you have two people over here in a group of three and then two people over here in a group of three. So you have two three cells at the same time and they each have two three cells and they each have, so this becomes a whole network. And so right now, the people in here who are in the possibility management trainer path have usually have one or two three cells going along along with them and so i don't see why it wouldn't also be useful here in a study group when we're doing any kind of experimentation or have processes to go through or want to continue or deepen certain uh, skills that's a perfect environment so it's it's a, it's a way to formalize the thing you just say, will you be in a three cell with me? And that doesn't mean forever. It's not like any kind of getting married or anything like that. It just means it's, it's a working space. It's a functional, effective, functional little working space. And then it can move around organically and evolves and shifts around. So if any, so it's a good, it's a simple language to say, I need a, could somebody like to set up a three cell with me to do this, for example. And then it works really well to do that. Yes. Any other sharing right now about practice? 
practicing being unhookable, I just want to repeat, it's a shift of identity and it's a wonderful, like a so deep uh, practice space for, it take, it really, I've done it for hours and it's just fantastic. There's always more things to learn and each of us are so uh, skilled in some ways and unskilled in others. And there's these, all these dimensions off of it. So I hope you, I hope you do that in your other possibility team and other training spaces. Yeah. I want to share. I notice that I often don't notice when I'm hooked. I don't notice that this is being hooked. Yeah, that was new for me. Yeah, thank you. What was the signs, Tatiana, that you can that you were hooked that you didn't notice before? Can you say it, share that? What was what? The signs. What was the they said you were hooked and you didn't notice. What was the, can you say that? Mm. I, yeah, one was that, that there was a kind of a big gap between reacting, that be, between the hook comes in and until I react. So I went into my mind and yeah, that was one. And the other, I don't remember. Maybe you remember Clinton. I do, but I refuse to acknowledge that. Okay. So I don't remember right now. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. See how easy it is to avoid rescuing? Set aside. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Yeah, Joseph. I found out that I, in many cases, I don't really realize that I'm hooked because I'm very quick in putting up a surface uh, in thinking and to be like quick-witted, somebody would say bolt-head to me. I feel a kind of regression or a sadness in me, but then I would say, okay, uh, I'm really a bold, I'm bold, whatever. I, I make some kind of joke about it, but I don't get that actually there is a hook, but I play over it. Now, I how many people, how many other people do something similar to that? I, mean, I think it's a, I don't, we don't even have a name for it and it is so common that it would be great to develop vocabulary for this stuff. Thank you, Joseph. That was a big part of it for me too, was that I was already so hooked about doing the experiment that, but then doing it I realized it was like my good, my being right and being good and being that it's right or good to be unhookable kind of got shifted into it just being, being hooked is being hooked and, and, and here's practicing to get new results and started to really like get my good right box unhooked. Yeah, thank you. There's this thing in expand the box training, there's this whole exercise, we make this distinction between the box and the being. And when you, after you have that distinction in you, in you experientially distinguished, then you can notice when your box is freaking out. So one of the things you can do is you can say, hey, my box is freaking out. And you, and you, and you really almost hold your hand up like this and your box is freaking out, but you are not. And it really helps to have that distinction. 
So in the same kind of way, it, it helps to, when you're hooked, almost immediately say, I'm hooked. My box is hooked. You know, I have this, this reaction because of my mother, because of, because of this thing that happened with me and dogs when I was a kid, or whatever the thing is, because I lost my promotion, whatever, I'm hooked, you know, and you put it on the table. Then it's not a, you don't have to hide it anymore. So, so it's just helpful in a, in a conversation and especially in an intimate conversation, it's, it's really, uh, you know, there's a lot going on if you're intimate with people. So for example, if you're, if you're physical with somebody, there's so much difference between a 1.5 kilogram pressure squeeze and a two kilogram pressure squeeze. Like there's this difference and you can't really tell, I cannot really tell what the other person is finding exquisite or it's not enough pressure or it's too much pressure. And so for the other person to not say leaves me blind. And so what I'm saying is, if, if I'm doing a two kilogram squeeze and they want a 1.5 kilogram squeeze and they don't say anything, they're hooked. You know, they get hooked. That's a really good way to get hooked. Or they can just say, hey, two kilograms, you know, I'm hooked, I can't breathe anymore. Or I, you know, I'm afraid this triggers this whole breathing thing in me, I'm just gonna freak out, you know, and they just put it on the table. And I didn't know, I did not know that this half a kilogram is a life or death experience for them and I'm, we're trying to be intimate and so this the thing is if you put it on the table you put go I'm hooked my, I'm freaking out my box is freaking out I'm I'm having this reaction I'm going to have this I'm going to have this reaction that's even better if you if you do this I'm going to have this reaction <laughs> you know I mean you know eventually as we work through this we become more and more unhookable because all that shit becomes less and less relevant has less and less power over us. But until it, it gains access to our awareness, we don't have any choice about it. And the reaction happens and we're hooked. So that's this journey is to make it more and more conscious, navigate space. I mean, that's the next section in the book. That's where we're going called holding and navigating space. Really the whole book could be just about this next section, holding and navigating space, because there's so much in there. I mean, we're diving into this kind of stuff in the mage training and it's so sophisticated and elegant and beautiful. And there's so many distinctions possible. We've never even spoken about before in any other space. It's like, how do you hold and navigate either intimate or transformational or healing spaces, initiatory spaces? It's so, there's so much involved in that. And yet we're trying to we're trying to be intimate with each other and just trying to hold somebody's hand or kiss them. You know, how much wet is too much wet? You know, is it wet enough? Is it not, is it not wet enough? You know, how how do you know how much, you know, th these are all things to to work out. And if somebody's freaking out because it's too wet and you don't know, then there's the intimacy is killed because they're in this, in this, they're they're hooked. And so put it on the table, put it on the table like this. And then, then, then you can work things out. So this is really crucial stuff about this being vulnerable as a beginning, as a meta conversation, as a beginning about being hooked or in this whole thing about becoming unhookable.
It's like you can even say, you know, this used to, this used to hook me, and it doesn't hook me anymore. And it's time to celebrate. That would be a, a time to celebrate. And this is even what Anne Chloe was talking about earlier today when she said that you know people used to try to give her problems, and she used to try to solve those problems for people, and then and then everything would be okay. Well, she's letting more people have problems. Well, it's party time. It's time to break out the lint chocolate. You know, the stuff that comes from Switzerland, because that's the best chocolate in the world. Speaking of that, I'll tell you a short story. There was, uh, I was in a, I heard about, actually, I wasn't there. I heard about a talk by Lee Loswick in Belgium. And he'd been traveling around giving different talks and people had heard about the kind of talks he was giving before he even came to the country. And so the audience, somebody in the audience said, we hear that when you come to a country that you actually try to insult people or get them hooked so that they're emotionally reactive so that they're so, that they can see how uncentered they are or, or just so how unspiritual they are or just how easily hooked they are. But you know, this is Belgium. And of course, people in Belgium, we are so sophisticated. We've seen everything. This is Belgium. There's nothing you can say that would possibly make our, us react in any way. And, and Lee Loswick goes, gosh, you know, these people in Belgium, they think they have really good chocolate, but I'm telling you, it's compared to Lindt chocolate, it has no, and the guy lost it. He was completely hooked just from the quality, just from comparing his chocolate from Belgium to some other chocolate. So, so, there's a lot going on here. Any, any, Christina, what are you laughing about? About the good chocolate. I, I, I have another story about the Lindt chocolate, but Switzerland has a great chocolate. <laughs> okay. Can we order it from you? Kilo wise. Okay, thank you. I'll take one. <laughs> All right. Uh, good. So I would like to start the holding and navigating space section. We won't anywhere near finish it, but I'd like to start diving into it so we can think about it during the week. I'm at, I'm at page 140, it's section 6L. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read the last paragraph of the Becoming Unhookable section. It had a big long list of ways to become unhookable, and I'll read that first. It's on the page, bottom of page 139. It says, the intention throughout this book is not to supply you with techniques or methods. The subjects or topics covered here are too important for that and too complex to be methodologized, to be made into a method, that be simplifying them into a method. They're too complex for that. Methods and techniques tend to be taken over by the box's intellect, by the mind, and are then kept on special reserve for cogitation, you mean for thinking about it, in those moments when you do not really need them. You get that? 
you get this idea, you think about it in those times when you don't really need it. That's what happens when you have this method thing. So what the book says is do what you can now with what you have now. That's just what we just did in this exercise together. That means start observing when and in what ways you are hooked out of your careful observations will come your own ways for becoming unhookable. Develop your own ways of becoming unhookable based on yourself. So rather than trying to follow a method. So the next section is holding and navigating space. A man or woman who establishes, I have to stop there and say, <clears throat> I can't tell you how many times people who have various assorted sexual or gender identities have confronted me with why have they written this book for men and women when in fact it's such a manufactured gender identity concept. I have you know that every single time I stayed completely unhookable and was able to have the conversation with them uh, that if they wanted a book that was written in a language that they understood, you know, they have special languages and these multi-gender things that they could just write it themselves. Please write the book themselves. I have yet to hear that somebody did that, but I just wanna say that I'm aware that this book is written in the, the gender duality called man or woman. And uh, if you have any questions about that, you should go visit Derek Jensen's website and he'll and he'll explain his point of view to you about that also. And Chloe can give you a link if you like. In any case, a man or woman who establishes themselves in the adult ego state, which is where we are in the book right now. This is we've left behind the ordinary part and we've, we've, we're starting to enter the extraordinary part. Extraordinary begins with adult ego state. So that's, what, that's what's up for us, each one of us is in the healing and transformation and initiatory processes to enter the adult ego state and stabilize there. And in the adult ego state, by you're basically to some degree unhookable. You're essentially unhookable. And that's, that's not saying good or bad or right or wrong. It's a, it's a characteristic of the adult ego state. That's what makes it such a wonderful ecstatic possibility for human beings to enter the adult ego state is that shit can be flying all around you and you get to stay present and centered and in connection as an adult. And that's ecstatic, it's fantastic. And so this is where, this is, this is what this is about. So a man or woman who establishes themselves in the adult ego state and does experiments there will sooner or later discover that there are two kinds of space they are dealing with on a daily basis. First, common ordinary physical space defined by walls, floor, ceiling, furniture, decorations, sounds, smells, and, and so on, temperatures, all that, and so on. That's physical space. Before now, when we would think of the concept of space, Physical space is all that we would normally think about. Talk about space, you mean the living room, 
or the concert hall or the shopping mall. These are all spaces, the church, the police station, all these places are spaces, but it's defined as a physical space, the paint on the wall, the decorations, etc. The second kind of space that we're gonna be entering now and talking about now is energetic space. It is defined by attention, intention, quality, tone, mood, purpose, timing, bright principles, etc. So it has all these characteristics that uh, an energetic space is built out of that are completely different from the components of physical space. Physical space is solid and relatively permanent compared to energetic space, which is mobile and flexible, having the capacity to change shape, purpose, direction, and speed. The speed of this space can change almost instantaneously. So what I'm saying is that the physical, like I'm, I'm in a building made out of bricks here in this island that's off the, in the Atlantic, off the coast of Africa and Spain, it's made, it's, it's been here, I don't know, 60 years, something like that. And today, Aunt Chloe was raining and, and Chloe noticed that it was dripping. There was a plastic thing in the roof and the water was dripping. And there's another place where the, the water's leaking through the wall and the paint is crumbling off the wall. So if there was a meteorite strike or a giant earthquake or a volcanic eruption, you know, or they decided to redesign the building, the physical space would change. That's how physical space changes. It needs to be destroyed or rebuilt, remodeled, and then it, physical space will change. That takes huge amounts of energy and usually time and money and skill to reshape physical space. Energetic space can, can have the same, I'm back in the book, energetic space can have the same dimensions as the surrounding physical space but energetic space can also have larger or smaller dimensions than physical space. For example, the space of a conversation between two people in a noisy restaurant is much smaller than the physical space of the entire restaurant. The space of the conversation might be a small amorphous bubble or cube enclosing only the two people who are talking making them oblivious to the general noise in the restaurant as a whole. How many people have experienced that? Okay, so you have a sense of what I'm talking about with energetic space. It's very real, it is very real. It is just a technology working with energetic space is a completely different technology than working with physical space. And so, and at the same time, you can use some of the same concepts or the same attention to detail. You know, if you make an elegant physical space, you're approaching somehow the physicality is matching, trying to match the kind of energetic space that you're trying to make. So if you're making a sacred space or elegant space or uh, exciting space, you know, like a paint gun, a, paintball gun hall, you know, you build up this, this, this paint, this exciting dynamic con construct so people can play 
paintball guns. You know, they can have a paintball war, but you build it to fit the energy that you're trying to have. We are either conscious, you are either conscious of these two kinds of spaces or you are not. And that makes a huge difference in your life. If you are not conscious that you are in each moment of every day and night involved in both physical spaces and subtle energetic spaces, this does not make you immune to the effect of the qualities of energetic spaces. You're still affected by it. You are affected. But without energetic space navigation skills, you are powerless to create any difference in what is going on in the energetic space. Simply by adopting the new thought map that there is physical space and right along with it, perhaps even within the same physical dimensions, is energetic space that if you just get that, you gain the possibility of making changes that were previously too subtle and out of your reach to make. Navigating energetic space lets you create profound effects at the quick, subtle, and complex levels where relationship takes place. Any, I'd like to just, in any comments or thoughts about that? Nothing up for anybody about that. See, if I were you, I'd go, don't stop reading, I would say. What's the next thing, I would say. I've been trying to discover this, and, I've, and I want to see what you've discovered like that. I would be kind of like that. What are you guys? Go. <clears throat> I think it's about being, for me, it's about being conscious <clears throat> of the energetics that I'm putting out. So that does create a space where the, what, whatever those energetics are creates the tone. You, what's making you think of that? Well, uh, I recently spent eight days with my, my brother constantly, and I noticed when he chose to use his energetic, the energetic space in an argumentative way. And there were times when I could consciously use my own energetic space to change that or to avoid it, let it go by me and mm. avoid it. And, and then there were other times when um, I made a comment using a really clear um, tone of voice that had no edges to it. And, and then I noticed his response to it because it wasn't something he, I was setting a boundary and he didn't like the boundary. And um, and so I just was really noticing how, 
while I wasn't always successful in changing the, the tone of the space, I was just noticing the tone. And there were times when I, I just got sucked right in too, so. And then I created a bigger explosion um, with the energetics that I was putting out. And so I'm responsible for how I create, what, what I add to the space. Yeah. Thank you. Why I'm pausing right now is because I would really like this theme of the energetic spaces and the dynamics of it to almost be the basis for the rest of our conversations in the, in the book. Because It's, it's like this, the more subtle the distinction is, the more subtle the power is, the more powerful it is, the more effect it can have. And there's, there are dynamic, there are this kind of seemingly oppositional forces. Like here's an energy going this way, and you need to have an energy going this way, and that's the conversation. And where we're going with this is, what about this energy over here? What about this energy over down here? What about bringing in this orange colored energy that, that spins around and has a different purpose, and yet is healing and attractive and sweet? So it's like, it's so easy for us to dichotomize the options that we have even at the energetic level. And yet at the same time, it's uh, such a disrespect of the design of the universe in a way. The design of the universe is so sophisticated. Yet, I don't know, for me, I, I keep trying to imagine the design of consciousness itself. Because I look, like on this island where we are, there are these plants I've never seen before in my life. They have this thing that looks, that is, that is a dandelion. You know, dandelion has these little sawtooth teeth and this beautiful little yellow flower that changes into a puffball, okay? Well, they have them here that are three meters tall and that the leaves are about like uh, two and a half, almost three feet long and they branch out in these multiple things and every single island has a different kind. Like they have evolved on, on La Palma differently from La Gomera, differently from Gran Canaria. If, and they're so easily spotted, they're so easily identifiable as dandelions and so different from each other. You know, a dandelion has one thing and one flower, one stem and one flower. The ones over in La Gomera, they have multiple stems and a bunch of big flowers on. And the ones here in La Palma, they come up and go, <clears throat> they have a hundred flowers and they're little teeny tiny ones, but they're all dandelions. Okay, all right. So this is coming out of a field of consciousness that's get Gaia on planet Earth 
and it's even more sophisticated before it hits planet Earth. It's more complex than that. And so I try to wrap my mind around how sophisticated and elegant and complex and full of possibilities is consciousness at large. Consciousness before it's formatted through physical objects as a resource. Consciousness at large is our resource in relationship. God, that's a cool one, isn't it? So um, I'm writing it down. Consciousness at large is a resource in relationship. And we have so many possibilities to choose from, even more than the variety of dandelions on these little islands. Okay, so, you know, butterflies and, and bugs and moments, like our days are full of these moments. And if, if to imagine that it's possible to get bored, to, to think that this moment is the same as this moment, puts us into this kind of, oh, I've seen this before, I've done that before, unconscious, you know, time passing by moment you know, time passing by. And so what I'm saying is there's this immensity of, of valuable resources at the energetic level that it, it takes upgrading our entire thoughtware basis to get access to. We've been trained in the physical space world and we, we're adjusting here to the energetic space world. So, mm, Clinton. Yes. I, I want to share what's coming up for me. Before I was really aware about energetics, energetic space, my energy, I, I received feedback from people who knew me and from strangers that, that I changed the energy of the space when I walk into it. People used to tell me this all the time. It's feedback I got all the time. And I wasn't really certain what to do with it. And I thought, oh, okay. Um, but I'm, there was something you said at the beginning of the call that this is the time in our lives where we take responsibility for things we didn't know we could take responsibility for. And, and, and so, yes, yeah, so how, how we're showing up energetically is so important and what, what we're bringing into a space. So, you know, when I come into a space, people have often said that I, I changed the energetic space too. And yeah, it, it was because I would fart a lot. So that was, so I wonder how you changed the energetic space. Did you ever figure out how? What, what was shared to me is that I brought a sense of calm to the storm. And so no matter what was going on, I, there was a center that I brought. And so, so we could, you know, like take the cons, the chaos and, and move towards something. So I'm just gonna, something like that is a survival tool. Mm. And if it's functioning outside of your awareness, it's the same thing like Ingrid with this, this fog. If you walk in and you take the energy of a space and you calm it down, that there are certain spaces where that's really useful and there's certain spaces where that's so expensive. 
that it, it actually utterly suffocates and tranquilizes and destroys possibility in a space. Yes. And, and I, I actually just had a healing process about this very thing. And, it, and, and, and it's something, yes, 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 to everything that you just said. And, it, and it, it, has, it has been a survival strategy. And, okay, and so in answer to your question, I wanna say that, that my energy also invigorates a space. We can make up a lot of stories about ourselves, most of which I don't believe about anybody. So I've, I've, I've heard people try to market themselves in all different ways. And I come in and I invigorate the space. I never actually heard that one before, but it, I get I it. Know. So the answer is, I don't know. And, and I think as I do this experiment where I call my friends and, I've, and, and tell them what I've been sad about, I think I'll call my friends and say, how do I change the space energetically when I walk into a room? I would propose you call them up and you say, I'm becoming more aware of how I unconsciously have changed the space of when I come into a room and I'm, oh. and I'm making it conscious now and I'm going to not do it. So this is a new Shannon. So the space is going to be free of Shannon when I walk in. Can you imagine that? Can you walk into a space invisibly? Can you facilitate nonlinear evolution in a space without making it calm or invigorated? Yeah. I will tell you that my energetic body is lighting up as you're talking. This is a bad thing for me to hear because that's not my intention. <laughs> I'm, I'm suggesting that's probably the white widow part of yourself playing yeah. out probably the white widow part playing out. It's, it's, it's in a different space. I, I felt joy at, at, at doing the experiment. A useful thing to say at this point might be, hmm, interesting, I'll, do, I'll, I'll think about it. That would be a useful thing to say. Okay. Rather than trying to make up another story about it. See, the problem with this is that it's recorded. And the good thing about it is that it's recorded. And so when you look at the recording, you can see what you are holding and generating in this space. And you can look at everybody else's face in the, in the recording at the same moment. And you can see the way that they're battling to hold on to the thing that they want to hold on to. And then how, how they're getting sucked into either what you're saying or what I'm saying or what somebody else is saying. And it's just a fascinating uh, energetic journey that we're going on with regards to survival strategies at the energetic level with a lot of, of unconscious gremlin at play and a lot of other forces at work. I'm not saying it's all bad and negative and stupid and wrong. All I'm saying is there's a lot to investigate here. There's a lot going on. And the more, the more, we become aware of it, the more options we have to choose from, the more colors we have to paint with, the more dimensions we can, we can navigate in. And what a fun thing that is. So I appreciate this conversation that we've just had. So don't, please, don't, please don't take it in any way being 
nasty or cynical or negative or anything, okay? I, I'm not, and I okay. too appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Clinton. I didn't have to say that. I didn't have to, I wanted to. That's what I was afraid of. That, it was okay. more of the same. It was more of the same. It was more of the white widow stuff. It was more of the manipulation stuff. And so see if you can be more neutral. I mean, it's just an experiment. Yes. See if you can do it without adding the Shannon show into it. And then you have choice and you have choice about it. We're all working on this thing. This, thanks for the demonstration. I mean, this is where we're going, you know, because if we don't know we're doing this stuff, we are doing it and it completely manipulates and manages and distorts what's possible in our relating. So the point of it is to have it put on the table. And at first it can look really uncomfortable. It can be really uncomfortable to see it show up and have it named and have it you know, and see it for the third time in a row and go, oh my God, this is completely out of my control. It's happening completely automatically. And it has such an impact on what's possible. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, okay. Somebody else, we have about seven minutes left here. Teresa, what's happening over in, on your bench there? I see. Okay, Teresa, did you hear me? Any, what's happening oh, over? Yeah, yeah. What's, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, just checking in. Okay. Um, and Lindsay, you're next. Um, I don't know. I'm a little bit hungry. <laughs> um, there's fear because I have to speak now. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. All right. Thank you. Lindsay, how about you? How's it going there? It's going well. I'm feeling very curious. Um, and um, yeah, I, I just get more curious the more I listen to these calls and I feel it's really touching something in me that I've wanted to look at for a long time. So I'm constantly surprised how I ended up here and happy to be here and dive into it more, whatever this is. Thank you. Where are you calling from? Um, another island in the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> Which one? Madeira. And how did, you, how did you find out about this? Uh, 
Um, I borrowed a book from a friend about three years ago and uh, it sat on my shelf for a long time. And then about six weeks ago, I, it was sunny outside. So I was like, okay, it's good to go outside. And then I just got this feeling like, what do you really want to do now? Instead of feeling like I should go outside, which I know is healthy for me. But I was like, what do you really want to do right now? And I was like, I want to open that book that's been sitting on my shelf for three years, which is Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love. And so I started reading it and I was like, oh, and that day I had proclaimed, I'm tired of magic. I don't like magic. I'm over it. I, I'm done with it. And I started reading it. And then I was just like, what is this? This is like a whole, oh, this is not what I expected in this book. And so I Googled it and I found the website and I found this free call. And then that I logged in, I think the second, yeah, it was like Sunday. And then Monday I logged in and that's how I ended up here. Like, I don't know where I am, but I'm happy to be here every Monday. Thank you. I'd just, like yeah. just like people to know that the publisher of the Radiant Joy Brilliant Love, because they republished the book under the title of Building Love That Lasts, they still have a few copies of Radiant Joy Brilliant Love sitting in their warehouse. And they're selling them, I think, at half price or something. It's called Home Press in Arizona. They're located in America. So if you know anybody, who, who, or if you just want to grab, you know, 10, 10 of their books or something and put them in, in, in places where people can find them. There, it's just a treasure that uh, does exactly what Lindsay described. So you can just find home, H-O-H-M Press Online. You just go in there and order some books and just plant some seeds, really plant some seeds around because these books are great seed planters. Thank you. Teresa, you had your hand up again, or Lindsay, were you going to say something? Lindsay yeah, first. can I ask, because um, yeah, just logistics, uh, um, I saw that there are the two different names, and uh, the book didn't make my packing list, so I'm here without the book, but actually, I would like, is there a difference between these books if I buy another physical copy, or um, what do you call it, Kindle edition? The difference or is that this one is there a difference between these two books is my main question. There's no difference in contents, but the the new book, The Building Love That Lasts, has the experiment numbers. So you can upload your matrix points for doing the experiments at the startover.xyz game. And it has updated websites because almost every uh, website in the Radiant Joy Brilliant Love book is outdated. So it has updated websites. That's the only change. And where'd you go? Teresa, you had your hand up? Uh, yes, I also want to say thank you because um, since I started, I'm not, um, I'm only into possibility management since January. And, um, but I, I love the podcast. Um, um, and I want to say thank you because it gave me a lot of positive energy and I don't know, kind of hope. And mm -hmm. I listened to it um, when I had a surgery and it was, it <laughs> gave me just, it was just very helpful. So thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah, and Chloe is the one who gets them online. So she's the one who's the sorceress behind making those available. Yeah. 
Hannes, anything from your department? You got about one minute. Anything from over there, Hannes? You're trying to hook me, yes? <laughs> um, Not on purpose. Yes, but last Monday I noticed that I'm hooked all, mostly the time through my mental cinema. I don't know if there's Kopfkino in German, the mental cinema that is heavy on my mind and running around. It was uh, quite a thing to learn that I'm nearly all the time hooked in this or on this kind of uh, technique that's going in my head. And I'm really thankful by becoming aware of. Thanks. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. Nice work. Irena, Irena, last words. What do you have for us? Thank you. Um, I would like to um, be in a team. I felt so much hope during the whole call, this call. And I felt so scared about um, the idea of saying others what I'm afraid or the, my sadness. So um, yeah, I would like to find a team and be in a holding space. And yeah, so this, this call really touched me like this time. You're asking for two people to be with you in a three cell? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, it could be, yeah. But it's a yes or no question. Yes. <laughs> then, you, then go ahead and ask, go ahead and ask. Um, is there so, two people can uh, hold the space for me and be in a three cell? For the or purpose of? purpose of um, coaching and understanding my habits or patterns of hook. <laughs> so, if so three of you are researching habits and patterns with hooks together. Yes. Okay. Anybody? I see Mark's son, his hand up, and Joseph, Mark and Joseph, and also Lindsay. So you guys, you guys can, uh, you know, chat in the space, the study group space, and work that out. Have a great week. See you guys next week. Fun experimenting. Thank you, everybody. Thank you thank for doing bye this. And thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right. See you guys. Bye bye.